1: prides myself a lot on my time management, and I think that I balance a lot of things in my life really well. The sort of downside to that is that I'm constantly working, you know, I'm constantly like moving from one thing to the next, and it's really difficult to stay in the moment. You know, if we were doing this pre-therapy, I'd be thinking about, okay, as soon as I leave this this podcast, I'm gonna go home, I'm gonna have a 10-minute coffee break, then I'm gonna sit down for half an hour and I'm gonna work on my emails and then I'm gonna have a two-hour study session with Kenji and Georgina. My parents are gonna come, we're gonna go for dinner. I wouldn't be thinking about us in this moment right now. I would always be thinking about what's next, what's next, what's next. And I used to keep track of every single thing I did in my life. I was just very hyper-focused on time. Through therapy, I've realized that I can still complete everything I want to do in my life without necessarily sort of working on the to-do list up until I go to sleep at midnight or, you know, constantly squeezing in little bits of work on the bus, on the train, when I'm walking, things like that. I've taken like a much more relaxed towards life. Hey
0: friends, welcome back to Deep Dive. My name is Ali and in each episode of the podcast, I chat to authors, entrepreneurs, creators, and other inspiring people about how they got to where they are and the strategies and tools that can help along our shared journey of living happier, healthier, more productive lives. And this episode is a discussion with Nasir Harma, who is a final year medical student at King's College London here in the UK, best known for his YouTube channel called Karma Medic, where he talks about productivity, about education, about lifestyle, and teaches generally students and young people how to be more productive with their time. Nasser has been doing this for the past few years now and he's a master following of over 1 million people, which is pretty sick. And so in this conversation we talk about how he first started this YouTube thing, what was it that inspired him to start this YouTube channel and get it to a ridiculously successful point while being a full-time medical student. And then the conversation takes a bit of a turn and we talk a lot about what it means to live a meaningful life and some of the lessons that Nasser has learned from going to therapy, for example, and some of the ways that his thoughts and insights around productivity, around what it means to work hard and be effective have changed over time. Links to his YouTube channel and all his other stuff will be in the show notes and in the video description. And I hope you enjoy this conversation between me and Karma Medic. We're sitting here today. You are fast approaching a million subscribers. You're a final year medical student yeah. at King's College London, mm-hmm. and you've just gotten uh, news that you're going to be working in North London. So congratulations on that yeah, front. Thank you very much. How, how did we end up
1: here? What's, what's the story of, of Karma Medic? What's the story of Karma Medic? Um, We need to go pretty far back. Let's go back. I love going back. Um, Okay. So how this kind of all started is that um, when I graduated high school uh, in Greece, I wanted to go to medical school. And I applied to um, the four most prestigious universities that me and my father could come up with because my dad said, I'm only paying international fees for you to study abroad if you get accepted into one of the top, top, top unis. And I said, you know what, fair enough, I guess that makes sense. Um, So we did, I applied to them, and I didn't end up getting accepted anywhere. So I did my plan B of uh, going to study in Canada, because that's where I was born, so I hold the Canadian uh, citizenship. And um, I did my undergraduate degree there. After my undergraduate degree, I I still wanted to apply to medical school. It was always the goal from the time I was in high school. And um, I eventually applied to both Canada and the UK. I got accepted in the UK, and that's where I went. Now, when I got accepted in the UK, I felt like it had been such a long journey of me trying to get accepted into medical school. Lots of like obstacles, ups and downs, you know, the whole shebang that a lot of people go through as well. Um, and I kind of told myself that I want to help a couple other people get accepted to medical school, a handful of people. Um, and when I would and I wasn't really sure how to go about that. I started like a Reddit forum and, uh, sorry, I, read, I put out a post on Reddit. Um, I went on the student room forum and I put out a post there saying, hey, I just got accepted, if you have any questions, blah, blah, Got like zero traction, zero comments, whatever. And I was like, hey, well, this isn't helping me achieve my goal, so I started the YouTube channel. And uh, that's kind of how it got started. So how old were you when you started the YouTube channel? Um, I was in my second year of medical school, so that would have made me 23, I think. OK, so you were in your second year and were you doing undergrad medicine or grad medicine? So undergraduate medicine. Okay. I had made the conscious decision to apply to undergraduate because the graduate medicine was even more competitive for international graduates, um, and so yeah, I went for that. Oh, I see. Okay, so you did four years out of a ca- Canadian
0: college, um, like Canadian University, Canadian, Canadian University, yeah. and then and now you're doing a second undergraduate degree. Yes. Because the aim was always medical school from day one. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Um, what was what was the experience of Canadian University like? compared to medical school? Because obviously I've only experienced medical school. So I, yeah. uh, I always think like, ooh, Canada looks cool, America looks <laughs> cool. You get to do all these different subjects rather than just one thing. Like, yeah, what, what, yeah.
1: what was that like for you? There's, there's a lot of differences between the two, like studying systems and a lot of pros and cons on either side. I think thinking back to my time in Canada, the one thing that really stands out for me is just how difficult it was. I think um, the... The difficult part about being in the Canadian or the American system is that you have this GPA system. And so your final grade that you graduate university with is sort of a compilation of every single exam, essay, quiz, assignment that you take in every course in every year. And so there's this constant, really intense pressure to perform well throughout the four years. Um, And so the standard degree length is four years there as opposed to like three years here. And so I guess in comparison to the UK where you have these big exams at the end of the year that you need to study really hard for, and those are what count towards your degree. And a lot of times the first year and second year don't really count as much. Um, But uh, I'm happy you brought up the fact that, you know, you study loads of different subjects, not just the thing that you applied for. So for example, I wanted to do medicine, so I did life sciences, which is like this broad thing. And then you choose uh, sort of underneath that your majors or your minors. And so I did two majors and a minor, um, and you get to do all kinds of courses, not only in science, but also like I did Shakespeare for a whole year. I did uh computer science. I did physics, maths, chemistry, um, what else? Ancient Egyptian, like, you know, you can take a whole wide variety of courses, which I think is fantastic. It makes a, for a really interesting university experience. Okay.
0: And, uh, and so I guess you had to maintain a pretty reasonable GPA as you were going through Canadian university to then even stand a chance of getting into medical school.
1: Yeah. Um, and, um, and even with the pretty decent GPA that I maintained, it was nowhere near close enough to the competitive GPAs uh, for Canadian medical schools. Oh, wow. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. and. I'll, I'll die on this hill that I put every last blood, sweat and tear into maintaining my grades over the four years of uh, my Canadian university. And I'm so happy with the grade that I finished with, um, but it's just not even close to the competitiveness that you need. Um, so yeah, it's really, cool. really tough out there. What are those, what are the, what are the people with the 4.0 gPAs is doing? Like, are they I don't just know. Like, <laughs>
0: having <laughs> I really no life? Like, what's, the, what's the deal with that? Did yeah. you have friends who got like amazing grades? Like
1: what was their experience like? Yeah, I had some friends who did really, really well. Um, and I think it's, you know, um, a combination of them, you know, probably just being smarter than me at the end of the day, um, maybe working a bit harder and um, maybe less of a social life, that kind of stuff. Mm. And it, you have to be really smart about what courses you take, because you want to take the easier courses that will give you the better GPA, yeah. um, which I didn't know too much about back then. Okay. Uh, yeah. It, it strikes me that there is kind
0: of a game to it. And some people are very good at playing the game.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And like if I if i look at like so i've I've got a friend my old housemate who I, I used to live with who consistently ranked in the top three in the year group and like the the amount he worked was not radically different to the amount i worked and yet he just did so much better than i ever did yeah <laughs> like what is yeah. going on there is it natural intelligence or is it just something about the way that he's working or studying or whatever that is resulting in a different a different outcome um like now that you've sort of done this whole productivity study type stuff stuff on YouTube, have you come across any things that you sort of wish you'd known back in the day, study techniques, productivity hacks, stuff that would have made life a bit easier when you were going through like all these years
1: of like 10 years of university? I think, honestly, one of the biggest things that I needed to know earlier was studying smart, not just studying for long periods of time. Especially when I was in high school, I kind of had the impression and understanding that the more hours you spent sitting down at your desk, the better your exam score was gonna be. And I do think there is a, a strong correlation there, but there's a balance and you, or I found that it's better to focus you know, on the high yield material, don't spend so much time going into the weeds, use practi- uh, past paper questions, group studying, whatever. There's all kinds of things that, I just didn't know. I was just. I thought the best way to study was to take notes and sit at your desk, lock yourself in your room for hours and hours on end, which is a huge mistake. Um, there's much better ways to do it for sure. Yeah. Mm. Okay.
0: Yeah. And we'll put links to our respective videos on the on the topic <laughs> sure. down below if people if people want to check them out. Uh, why were you so into medicine that you would go through all these hoops to get into med school? Like you would have made that decision when you were like 16 or something. So yeah.
1: What's what's going on there? Absolutely. Um, I always say that when I made the decision to apply for medical school, I said that I want to be a doctor. And I put these air quotes around because I quite honestly had no idea what being a doctor was. The only thing I knew about being a doctor was what I saw in the movies, right? When I made that decision. And so it was more the work experiences that I did over the coming years and speaking to people who are in research uh, labs and academia, speaking to people who are working in the hospital, going and spending some time in the hospital um, that I actually kind of understood what does the day to day of a doctor look like? And that's kind of what reinforced the idea that I want to be a doctor and now became I actually want to be a doctor. Um, Yeah, it was more like the real life experiences that I had that pushed me towards it.
0: Let's say you're speaking to someone who doesn't really know what to do with their career and they don't necessarily want to do medicine. What would you kind of advise them? Like, how should they they go about this?
1: I think, like, work experience is by far the best way. If you don't do it, you're not going to know. I understand, you know, getting work experience is pretty hard for a lot of people, especially in different kinds of careers and and whatnot. But the only way to really know what it's going to be like is work experience. I think the second best thing to that honestly is watching people on YouTube talk about their job, talk about their career. It's funny, but like, um, whenever I need to know anything, the first thing I do is search on YouTube and I look for someone who's gone through that experience and I just watch them. And that's like the most real way of understanding it. I think reading a blog or, I don't know, some company talk about what their career is like, isn't really the best way of getting that information across.
0: We're going to take a very quick break to introduce our sponsor for this episode, who is Brilliant. I've been using Brilliant for the last few years, and they're a fantastic interactive platform with online courses in maths, science, and computer science. My personal favorites are the computer science courses. I think they're absolutely fantastic. And when I was initially applying to med school, I was actually torn between applying to medicine and applying to computer science. And I ended up going with medicine in the end, which I really don't regret. But there's a big part of me that really wanted to continue learning the stuff around computer science, continuing to understand how coding works. And the courses on Brilliant have given me that foundation in computer science, which I didn't have before. courses are really fun, engaging and interactive. And the way they teach you stuff is based on very first principles thinking. Like they'll teach you a concept and then they'll take you through interactive exercises to actually help solidify your understanding of that concept. And it's pretty cool because they're always updating the library with new courses. For example, there's one they've just released called Everyday Maths, which is kind of like a visual exploration of the maths that we use in everyday life. Like for example, fractions and percentages and putting them in a context that makes it very understandable and certainly very different to the kind of boring way that I was taught maths when I was in school. The courses and lessons are particularly good if you have a busy life with little of stuff going on, because they really teach you the stuff in bite-sized chunks, so you can always return to a course at a later date if you don't have time to do it in one sitting. If any of that stands up your street, then do head over to brilliant.org forward slash deep dive, and the first 200 people to hit that link, which is also going to be in the video description and in the show notes, will get 20% off the annual premium subscription, so thank you so much to Brilliant for sponsoring this episode. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff on YouTube. These are like day in the life of almost any career that you could imagine. and mm-hmm. So it's it's relatively easy to get some level of information. Obviously, if someone's like a lawyer or a management consultant or even a doctor, there is a degree <clears throat> to which they are not going to give you the true, honest yeah, vibe sure. of exactly what's going on. Um, yeah, so uh, I guess I, I, w- I want to come back to the medicine thing in a moment. But so in your second year, you decided you were going to start a YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, most people I know who've started YouTube channels have not started it with the altruistic intention of helping people get into uni. And there is always an element of like status, money, prestige, et cetera, et cetera. To what extent did the kind of more selfish motives for being a YouTuber kind of affect your decision in the past and I guess now as well?
1: Yeah. Um, I remember we talked about this like the last time I saw you in Cambridge. And after I gave you my answer, you were like, I don't believe you. There mu- there must be something selfish there. Um, so, so the truth is, I think over time with the YouTube channel, the selfish reasons have grown larger and larger. Mm. When it first started, it genuinely was an altruistic thing. I remember um, when I got the email that I was accepted to medical school, I went out into this like huge grass field outside the library where I was, and I called my mom, and like, she started crying, I started crying. And I said to her on the phone, I said, I'm gonna help a handful of other students have this same feeling that I have. Mm. Um, and that really was the motivating driver behind me starting the YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, As time has gone on and sort of the very intense passion and spark and fire inside me that was creating a video every single week um, has sort of, I wouldn't say died down, but it's certainly not as strong as it used to be, Um, the more selfish reasons sort of kick in. And, and, you know, I feel like I already have this big platform. Let me keep growing it. This can open doors for me in the future, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But it definitely started as a fully altruistic thing. Oh, interesting.
0: And so what were your feelings in those early days when you put out a video and no one watches it like that sort of experience that we've all we've all been through
1: yeah um it was definitely tough and i remember the first time i had a subscriber i was visiting uh, alexia in bristol and i was like jumping up and down the first person who subscribed to my channel um those early days i think the the hardest thing was that as you mentioned you know no one watches the video and no one comments and so right at the beginning, how I was sort of spreading the word about these videos was I was going on the student room forum. Mm. And I was going to the UCAT and BMAT uh, sections of that page. And whenever people would ask questions, I would answer them and then say, hey, if you want some more help, DM me. Mm. They would DM me. And I'd be like, I'd respond to their question again and then send a link to the YouTube channel. Because if you sent the link on the forum, you would get banned. Yep. And I got banned several times for doing that. So, so <laughs> yeah, I had same. to find this workaround with the DM. Um, And so that's kind of how I started getting my first few viewers and followers. And even the one, two, three people who were watching at the time found the videos really helpful and found them really valuable. The feedback was so overwhelmingly positive that, you know, it gave me this real sense of I'm doing something meaningful here. And that made it easier to sort of continue pushing videos out every single week, you know, staying up late, like sacrificing sleep and whatever. Um, I think it's because I got that positive feedback really early on.
0: Ah, oh, OK. So you went out there and hustled to get people to actually watch your videos. I hustled hard, yeah, 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 for sure. I think a lot of people wouldn't do that. They would put the video up, hit publish, hope for the best, and then complain three videos later when no <laughs> one's watching their videos.
1: No, I, I put in a lot of work, for sure. I was answering like comments and DMs and whatever for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was pure altruism at that point. It, like I said, I had this goal of helping. I don't remember what the number was now. I think somewhere between like 10 and 50 people. Get accepted to medical school, um, and so I was kind of just continuing to go until I had talked to ten different people, fifty different people, whatever.
0: Mm. Did you
1: ever have to battle with like
0: perfectionism, of like this video sucks and I want it to be better, and I'm therefore I'm not going to upload it? Anything, any thoughts like that?
1: Um, yeah, uh, I th- I think that definitely. I I characterize myself, I think of myself as a perfectionist type person, but I draw a really strict line in the sand where perfectionism should not be so much to the point that it stops me from doing the thing that I actually want to do. Mm. And so when I would edit my videos and uh, when I would film them, you know, I would work really hard to try and get things as best as they could. But at the end of the day, I would have to upload it no matter what, even if it wasn't my best piece of work, because I recognized how much value there was in just learning one new thing every single time. I knew that I wasn't going to be making good videos overnight and I knew that the first ones were going to be bad. Um, and it's just part of the process. I didn't I didn't really care too much. I just wanted to learn, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, this I mean, I, that's all all great in
0: in theory. And I think anyone who starts on YouTube or putting themselves out there in writing or in anything knows intellectually that <clears throat> this is going to be crap. But then there's a difference between knowing something intellectually and actually feeling it in your bones. And really, and I think one of the things, one of the reasons why my YouTube channel kind of continued going was because I just embraced the fact that my first 50 to 100 videos were just going to be awful. Mm. And I was like, as soon as I can get through those awful videos, uh, the more, then and kind of slowly improve over time, eventually I'll get actually good at making videos. So, what I, I guess my question is was there. What was going in your going on in your mind to take that from an intellectual knowledge that uh, perfectionism is bad and shouldn't stop me from doing this to actual like actually making that guide your actions in actually uploading those videos? Because that's it's a pretty unusual thing to do. Like loads of
1: people have the thought of I want to do X, and yeah. very few of us actually do the thing. B- basically, like I don't I don't think about it too much. I just I tell myself I'm going to do the thing and then I do it and. I see you laughing and you know my girlfriend she always says to me Nasser you're a robot like you think like a robot um, in the sense that you know you don't um, you don't think about how this is going to feel or how it's going to turn out you just do the thing um, and so once I told myself I was going to make a video on the UCAT verbal reasoning section I would just make it no matter how bad the video quality was or the audio wasn't perfect because there was a car outside or whatever um, and I would just publish it yeah um I, I know it's super unrelatable and like I'm, I'm trying to better understand how i think about these things um but a lot of it really just is i told myself i would do it and so then i did it yeah yeah <laughs> that i makes mean sense.
0: that's how i think as well uh when yeah we, when we started doing our youtuber academy i would start getting i would i would get questions you know in our first cohort like how did you bring yourself to upload the videos i was just like huh i mean it's you know i i made it into something that was not an option like yeah exactly once a week i was going to upload a video yeah and when you decide that once a week you're going to upload a video then you just upload the video right yeah and people are like well well no because i still have all these feelings of like fear and perfectionism and anxiety and all this sort of stuff um and it was very ideal that we had someone on the team uh who you also know um uh who was my assistant at the time who now works for the youtuber academy elizabeth who had much more of a Uh, more, uh, 10 times more empathy than I did around like what it's actually like being a beginner and putting yourself out there. And she could relate to those struggles a lot more than I could. Where I was just like, man, just upload the goddamn video.
1: How hard can it be? (laughs) I know, I know. And um, honestly, this process of sort of reflecting on why I make the decisions that I do and how I feel about uploading videos or making things is something I've really only started quite recently. Um, After in September, October time, I started going to therapy. Oh. And I genuinely felt like for the first time in my life, I started thinking about why I'm doing the things that I'm doing and how I feel about them. Because before that, it was just it was quite literally, you know, just do the thing because you said you were going to do it. Um, and we can go into that uh, a little bit later. Um, but, yeah, it's a it's a, it's a process, I think, like yeah. learning to identify how you feel about it and why you feel that way and, and whatever.
0: Okay, I definitely want to come back to the therapy thing. And I definitely want to come back to your sort of like why you're still keen on the medicine stuff, which I think will be interesting to talk about later. So you're in your second year, you're 23 years old. This is probably like uh, four years ago-ish, three years ago? Yeah, four years ago. And you decide, I'm going to make YouTube videos. And every week you bang out some stuff that helps people get into med school. Mm -hmm.
1: What did the kind of trajectory of your channel look like in those like early days? Um, The trajectory was really slow, but um, incredibly... Uh, sort of gratifying on a qualitative level. So quantitatively, there weren't very many views, there weren't very many comments uh, or whatever. But qualitatively, how I felt about making the videos, the sort of creative fun that I had making them and the challenge for myself learning these new skills of editing, filming, recording, publishing, whatever. Um, And then also the feedback I was getting from those small people who were watching the videos was amazing. I felt like the qualitative feedback was exponential, the quantitative growth was extremely slow. and so, for about a year and a half, I published a video every single week. Mm. And, you know, I would publish on Thursday at 8.30 in the morning, and I still do till this day. Um, and so, you know, Wednesday nights, I'd be staying up late, editing, like whatever. And my girlfriend would always say to me, like, Nasser, just, just upload the video on Friday. Like, why do you have to do it on Thursday? And I'd be like, no, I, I said I'm going to do it on Thursday. So, it has to go up on Thursday. And it goes back to that thing of, you know, you just said you were going to do it. So, just do it at that time. Anyways, I'm going on a tangent. Um, so I was uploading videos every single week for about a year and a half, and I think at that time I had 7,000 subscribers, 6,000 something.
0: Like well, After a year and a half? After yeah, a year and a half, After making yeah. like 75-ish videos, one a week for 18 months, yeah, you had <laughs> like 7,000, 6,000 subscribers, something yeah, like that.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then I posted a vlog about me studying uh, for a medical school exam, and that really blew up at the time, and that uh, got like hundreds of thousands of views within a couple of days and then weeks um, and brought, I think like 30,000 subscribers to the channel or something like that. Mm. And that's why I felt like I had my big break or whatever. Ah. Um,
0: okay. So it sounds like the, you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of research on motivation these days for, for the book that I'm working on. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of the research suggests that uh, motivation is not a thing that you generate before doing an action. Motivation is the thing that comes after you do the action and you see some small level of success. Sure. And so for you, it's like, I'm gonna make the video. And then you're out there hustling, trying to get an individual one at a time to watch that video. That person is giving you feedback and being like, this video was sick. And then that, that gives you the, the kind of dopamine hit to continue making the videos. Yeah. At the same time, as you're making the videos, you're personally having fun because <clears throat> just the act of creation, I think, is an inherently rewarding experience. And yeah. for, for anything, you know, making a pottery wheel thingy or making a YouTube video or writing anything, there's something about creation that really, I don't know, fulfills the soul. In some capacity, yeah. You can say, look, I I made that. I made that thing, yeah. It was just like, it was nothing. And then I turned that footage into something good. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I guess those like more, uh, yeah, qualitative markers of feedback, qualitative drivers kept you going, even while the numbers weren't necessarily like incredibly high. For sure. And, you know, the thing that I say to people is if you just make a video every week for two years and try and get a little bit better, I can 100% guarantee that your life will change. I can't tell you when it's going to happen. I can't tell you at what which video is going to go viral, how many views or how many number, how many how much revenue, how many subscribers you're going to get. Yeah. But I can 100% guarantee it will change your life. Yeah, whether really. it's in terms of like the skills you learn or the people that you meet or, you know, potentially at some point a video might pop and now we're talking.
1: Yeah. yeah. The the YouTube game is honestly 100% consistency. I really think it's just about doing the same thing over and over again over a long enough period of time until something happens. Someone notices your video, the algorithm notices your video, Whatever, um, but I just really think it's about repetition, repetition, repetition. Yeah. So okay. On
0: that. So on that note, um, we all, we 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 do often sometimes get students in our in our YouTuber Academy who uh, you know take the consistency mantra to heart. They're like, all right, cool. I guess I'm just going to make videos, and they make videos about random topics, talking about things that they're interested in, filming it with crappy quality because it's like consistency and improvement over time, um, and. One, one view that I've been thinking about a lot recently is that consistency alone is not the answer. Like there are like other ingredients that go into success. So for you, and I guess if you were giving advice to, uh, I don't know, like people thinking of starting a YouTube channel or potentially like having started a something to do with content on social media, what are the elements other than consistency that you think feed into the success equation yeah. as it were?
1: Um, yeah, I think I should probably rephrase that. Consistency is a necessary requirement whilst you're also uh, constantly trying to evolve and learn and improve. Mm. Consistency has to be there throughout, but as you said, you're right, it's not enough. Um, I think the main things, I mean, YouTube's also par- partially a game. You need to make content that people are wanting to watch. You need to make content that you think uh, is clickable, that might be shareable, the algorithm might pick up, etc. cetera. Um, and also that is good to whatever the good standard is. And I think on YouTube there definitely is this sort of minimum, sorry, there definitely is this sort of minimum threshold of good. And once you've ticked that box, it becomes less important how good the video is, right? Yeah. The production quality, once it reaches a certain level, anything past that is just like, okay, well, this is this is nice, but <laughs> it doesn't need to be here, you know? Um, and so, yeah, the other things to kind of focus on for me it was just... With every video that I put out, I wanted to do something new and learn something different, whether that was a new transition, um, I don't know, adding music or a sound effect, or I don't know, learning how to crop in, add text, manipulate things. Um, I just wanted to do something new. And, you know, part of that was what made it so intellectually stimulating to keep on going every single week because it was really fun, as we said before. Mm. Um, but yeah, consistency and constantly trying to innovate and get better, whatever get better means, uh, you know, incrementally for you over time.
0: Like, how do you how do you think about this this question of like, wh- what what videos should I make next?
1: Mm. Okay, so the videos that I make next are ones that I want to make, and then they need to appeal to who I think my niche is or my target audience. Okay. So. There's a lot of videos that I upload that I know from the get-go are going to tank in terms of like numbers, uh, comments, views, whatever. But they're videos that I think are important. And I think for the few people who do watch it, it is going to be valuable. Mm. And so if it meets that threshold, then the video is going to get made. Um, And obviously, there's like a long list and we move them back and forth all the time. And there's a balance of what's going to go out next. But, um, yeah, I need to... Think that I'm going to enjoy making this video and that there's going to be some value for the people who watch it, and then after that, it becomes about um, it becomes more about how do we frame this in a way that's clickable that people will want to watch, um, etc. As opposed to starting from what's the most clickable, what do people want to watch? It's a balance. It's not so black and white. Hmm. Um, but yeah. So,
0: okay. So let's say you decide you want to do a video exploring your menswear wardrobe because you think it's the sort of video that would appeal to someone like me but it's not really within your core focus of your channel to be doing menswear content would you do the menswear video following this formula of like i think this will be valuable to some people like ali who needs menswear advice or would you be like uh it's it's not sufficiently valuable to the people that i think are following my channel i.e maybe medics maybe students like whatever uh sort of Pseudo avatar you have in your mind, and therefore I'm not going to do the menswear video.
1: No, I don't think so. I would I would still do the menswear video. Oh, if, interesting. If, if I yeah. want, if I thought it was going to be fun, okay, and it wasn't going to be the the biggest lift, as you would say. Um, I mean, this is kind of like when I made a twenty-minute video about coffee, and I was just like drinking coffee from five or six different methods of like grinding the beans or whatever. I made a video about um, how to publish academic research, which like is very niche, pretty yeah. niche. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what else have I done? How to take a patient history. I did recently, which you know, my channel is about medical school. My channel is about by that. studying. Yeah. Um, it was but very, but like, I also, medical
0: educational video, yeah, rather exactly. than a meta like, medicine video.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, so you know, I, I knew it wasn't going to do well in terms of like numbers and algorithm, but I was like this is a valuable video that I wish I had when I was in my first and second year. I think it'll be fun to make, let me make it. Um, so yeah, something like the wardrobe video I've actually wanted to do for a while and multiple sponsors have come and gone saying, make a video <laughs> about you know uh, your clothing, but uh, it's always been in my head too big of a lift uh, to do. And I also don't really think I'm that uh, knowledgeable about clothes and fashion and menswear and, and things like that. Mm. Um, I try my best, but okay. I don't think I'm knowledgeable enough to speak about it like in a video.
0: So it sounds like you're not limiting yourself based on who you think your target audience is, particularly?
1: No, not at all. Because the most important thing is that I make a video each week. I don't, what the video is on isn't as important as the fact that I just put one out. Mm. I just want to be creating content. Um, Why? <laughs> to be honest, um, I really, really enjoy it. And I okay. feel like I've kind of reached this point where I'm on a hamster wheel. And we can we can talk about this more later. I think it's important as well. where There's almost, there's so much less thought involved now than at the beginning. Now it's just like the wheel is turning, you know, inject all the different ingredients and components that go into making a video. And each week by Thursday, there will be one uploaded. Um, And so I've kind of been on this hamster wheel for about four years now of pumping out a video every single week. um, Something that I plan to sort of scale back and change a little bit, um, probably in a couple of months when I graduate medical school. but uh, yeah, I forgot how we got into this uh, hamster yeah. wheel. <laughs> uh, I, I, I kind of asked why, like, what's the what's the point of being on the hamster wheel? Yeah, like, why do you want to um, stick to this? Like, you've been doing it for four years now. Yeah, yeah. So at at its core, it's fun. It's something that I enjoy, and evidently, it seems to provide value to other people. Um, and I think that constant feedback of uh, for me to know that it is somehow useful for others mm. is the major driving port, uh, major driving point. And after that, it's fun. And after that, I told myself I was gonna upload a video every single week. And so I do. Okay. <laughs> okay. What would happen if you didn't one day? Um, probably nothing, but I think I'm kind of, so I'm, I'm a really goal oriented person, Okay. Um, as you might imagine. And um, kind of the next goal that I have, the next big goals that I have in my life are to graduate medical school and to hit a million subscribers on this YouTube channel. And so those are kind of the goals that I'm working towards um, before I make a big change or switch up this like once a week uh, Mm. routine or um, the type of content that I'm making and things like that. I'm kind of like, let me just keep things as they are right now because I have a lot to focus on with medical school and whatever. Um, And once we reach that big goal, I can like make a big change. Okay. Okay, I,
0: I, I wanna push back on this goal thing because so so my issue with goals, I think, I think we talked about this, yeah. this before is that when you set a goal, then so so for example, if, if I imagine for you, if I was, I don't know, your YouTube growth coach or something and you told me my goal is to hit a million subscribers, I'd be like, okay, cool. Let's figure out what your most viral videos are, the ones that have brought in the most subscribers. And then I'd be like, why are you making these like random videos that you were doing for fun? Why don't we just optimize... Like, imagine if you just made one viral video a month instead of four non-viral videos a month. Surely we'd get you to the million subscribers faster. <laughs> yeah. And then, but this, so uh, if, and, and and if I had a goal of a million subscribers and someone said that to me, I think, oh, okay, but the million subscribers is not the point. there are, there, there is something else going on here that the, I just want to hit a million subscribers does not quite embody. If you, yeah. if you get what I mean?
1: So I'm, I'm very much like you, I, I set um, w- what you describe as like input goals. So the, the actual goal isn't to reach a million subscribers, The it's the idea that in a couple of months somewhere here or there I'm probably going to pass a million subscribers, at that point I'm going to make a big change. Um, But in terms of how we get there, yes, I agree with you. If I just focused on making one viral video, then I might get there a lot faster. Um, But then that doesn't sort of follow the rule of, let me make the content that I actually want to make. Uh For example, I know, for example, that vlogs will happen to perform better on my channel, Um, other videos about like hardcore focus and studying, things like that. But then when I sit down, like last week and I'm like what video am I going to make next week that's not really what's at the forefront of my mind what gets me excited to pick up a camera Uh and so I won't make that video okay Um,
0: yeah so it's like it sounds like it's some combination of you have goals but you also have
1: standards (laughs) I I have loads of
0: goals you have your own personal preferences of I want to hit a million subscribers but I want to do it on my terms I don't want to just make vlogs that will pander to the audience or whatever you want
1: for For sure for sure this whole YouTube thing is only still going because I still find it fun and I think if I was, the more and more this becomes like a job, the more and more I start to focus on the numbers and trying to make videos that will perform well and things like that, the less and less fun this becomes. And I'm really scared of that happening. So mm-hmm. I try to stay away from it and do that as little as possible. Interesting,
0: interesting. Like, yeah, this, this just gels so much with my own, my own personal experience. And a bunch, of, a bunch of research I've been doing into like intrinsic and extrinsic motivation as well, mm. where initially when we start doing stuff, like for example, when we're kids, we're, do, we're doing things because they're fun, for the pure joy of doing the thing. And then at some point, grades come in comes into the mix. Yeah. And we start doing things because it will get us a better grade. I think medics are particularly prone to this. Of <laughs> I will only do the yeah, thing absolutely. if it will get me yeah. the appropriate number of CV points and PubMed referenced paper that I, will give me two extra points for my freaking FPAS application. Yeah. Or my SD3 application eight years down the line. Et cetera, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Like this very goal-oriented extrinsically motivated way of doing stuff mm-hmm. um, and a bunch of this, the 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 research on motivation as you as you probably know says that when you add in extrinsic motivation it does in fact tend to crowd out intrinsic motivation
1: 100
0: and so you know our, our mutual friend jack he and i were talking the other day um he's also a youtuber was talking about how when when he and i were making videos for fun they were fun but when you switch to making videos for your job suddenly there's something about it where you're doing the same 100 but it just becomes not fun and now you're like 100%. i was I, I used to look forward to going home from work to make a video and now I look forward to doing anything else so I don't have to make a video. What the hell's going on there? Like, yeah. yeah.
1: What's been your experience with it that? It's, it's when it stops being on your own terms. And like this is part of the reason why we take on so few sponsorships. I mean, if you look on my channel, I really do sponsorships so rarely. And a really big driver for that is that as soon as a sponsor is attached to the video, it suddenly becomes this huge chore. Yeah. It's not a- It becomes a f- work. It, it becomes has a work. yeah And it has a deadline, and they want to review it, and they have their comments, and this and that. And there's negotiation, and back and forth. And then it stops becoming about, I'm making this video because I'm doing this for fun, and hopefully other people are going to find value in it. It becomes like a job. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's part, of, that's part of the reason we try and keep, we just do them every single, di- uh, every single week and don't attach that many sponsors to the videos. Yeah. yeah. Practically speaking, yes.
0: when, for example, a channel of your size, you could be making $10,000 for a video. Sponsor says $10,000, there for a video. That's a that's a that's a decent chunk of money, and how do you decide? How do I justify no, it? <laughs> I'm going to say no to ten thousand dollars because I want to not have a deadline. I want to not have fun. I don't want to bother sending a few emails. Well, what's what's going on in your mind?
1: It's a very good question, um, and it's something that I I do struggle with and, and think about kind of often. I think the thing is, um, these YouTube videos that I make every single week. At the end of the day, this is a hobby for me. This is something that I do for fun. My main priority in life and what I'm working towards my end goals is a career in medicine. And that is where the majority of my focus is and where I want my future to go. The fact that I make these videos and I find them fun and that they make money as well, is like an incredible bonus. It is very hard to do that where you turn down money uh, when you know you could so easily, right? But then there's also so many prerequisites to taking on a sponsor, which is like, it needs to be valuable for me, it needs to be valuable to my audience, it needs to fit in with the content. And those don't come around very often either. Um, There's definitely enough to fill the videos, but um, turning down a sponsor because you want to keep this as a fun hobby and keep the longevity of it It's kind of like a long-term thinking of, if I was to accept a bunch of sponsors, yeah, I'd probably make a lot of money right now, Mm. but I'd burn out more quickly, and I wouldn't find this fun in like six months' time. But if I sort of take it at my own pace, then there's probably more longevity in it, and I can keep this online presence wherever it takes me and whatever use it has in the future um, for longer. And that's kind of the trade-off that that I'm in. That's a large amount of self-awareness to recognize that,
0: for you, taking a 10K sponsorship will be more likely to lead to burnout, et cetera, further down the line. How did you arrive at that? This is this is this is where you're at.
1: Well, I, I've I've experienced how much it sucks the fun out of this whole YouTube thing to have sponsors involved, um, and you know even when we've tried moving to agencies that are supposed to you know take off a lot of the heavy lifting around sponsors and things like that, at the end of the day, a lot of it comes down to you at the end. You know you need to put in the work, you need to write the script for it, you need to film it, you need to edit it, whatever. Um, so it just, yeah, it sucks the life out of the thing. Mm. And this is not my job. This is quite literally something I do part-time for fun. And so if I was to make it my full-time job, that's a separate story. Um, but it's not kind of where I want my future to go. Um, my future is still set on medicine.
0: Oh, okay. I think that segues us very nicely. Why, why <laughs> is your future still set on medicine? It's um, um, so, okay. So I'll just say kind of the, the bare case for medicine, as it were, <laughs> to use the sort of finance, investing crypto analogy is that <laughs> long hours, a uh, large, like, long amount of training, uh, NHS is understaffed, uh, life as a doctor is not that amazing. If you speak to a lot of doctors and you ask them, would you would you rather be a YouTuber, at least when I do, they would often say, hell, I'd rather do anything rather than medicine, et cetera, et cetera. Um, bull case for being a YouTuber is you'd make more money, you'd have more autonomy, you'd possibly have more fun, you'd spend a lot less time <clears throat> working. How How do you... So I balance those factors and... It led me to the conclusion of quit medicine, be a full time YouTuber for now slash entrepreneur slash content creator slash internet whatever. What is it about medicine that makes you so like, yeah, this is this is me.
1: Yeah, um, I think let me preface this with something that one of my really close friends says, which is, um, I reserve the right to change my opinion and change my mind in light of new evidence. So having said that, yeah, um, yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you said. When I think of my future job working as a doctor and when I talk to doctors on the wards, everything is negative. And Mm. that's really soul crushing, it's heart crushing, it sounds, it doesn't sound like fun, you know, (laughs) based on the long hours, understaffed, overworked, stressed, you know, barely getting sleep, whatever. Um, And so I'm not looking forward to that side of it very much. The truth is, I don't don't think I could do anything else that would provide me with the same amount of satisfaction and gratification as I would being a doctor. Mm. And I think, even if I was to be a full-time YouTuber or have my own business or work in some other industry, I wouldn't get that same level of satisfaction that I'm sort of chasing and craving in my life. The the sort of goals that I have for my professional career are to be doing something that I enjoy that I think brings value to other people. And obviously, there's tons of jobs you can do that bring value to other people. What you're doing is bringing tons of value to other people and you're not a doctor anymore. Um, but you know, it's a personal thing, obviously, at the end of the day. But I, th- I think that I wouldn't find anything more satisfying or more gratifying than caring for patients and working in a hospital. OK. But you reserve the right to change your mind, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Because I always say, right, this is all fine and well while I'm a medical student. Being a medical <laughs> student is you know, down here in terms of responsibilities and work. Being down here in terms of responsibility and work. And being an actual doctor is an entire other ballgame, right? So only when I start working am I going to be able to say, yes, I'm happy doing this. Even with all the negatives that are going on. And that's where the I reserve the right to change my opinion comes in, because I don't know what it's going to be like when I start working. Hmm. But I have hope, I have faith that um, it's all going to go well.
0: What is it about being. So I, yeah, sort of uh, take, uh, fully fully accept the caveat that you're a medical student, the levels of idealism of a medical student are. Four orders of magnitude compared to the levels of idealism once you actually start working as a doctor. Yeah. But I'm curious, what like, what is it that you think is will like for you will would would be satisfying about the medicine thing compared to, for example, being a teacher or running a business or continuing to do your YouTube thing?
1: Yeah, I think like um, being a teacher or being in education, whether that's in person or sort of in an online way, like you kind of do now. Um, has a lot of the same sort of satisfying parts of being a doctor in that you're educating your patients, you're empowering them and informing them about their own health and other people's health and things like that. Um, I think a big part of it that kind of attracts me is the like high stakes aspect or like the intensity aspect of it. So, you know, teaching someone about a certain topic is, you know, it's going to be gratifying and satisfying and whatever, but changing someone's health or helping them in a time of like pain or need or something like that, they're both very good. But one of them I think is like a lot more intense. Yeah. And I think that intensity, I don't think it necessarily makes it better or worse than the other one, um, but it comes along with a different set of like emotions and satisfaction, I think.
0: Yes, that's very true. That was one of the things that kept me in thinking more about medicine for longer because uh, like for the for the last many years people have been saying hey quit this medicine thing do the youtube thing and there was something about like i'm i thrived off of the intensity of like a cardiac arrest or like you know these high octane specialties where there's a lot going on mm-hmm. and did i uh, enjoyed a lot less the more chill specialties like age psychiatry for example where or like gp to an extent where it's like broadly clinic-based and it's yeah, It's a bit less adrenaline field. And it sounds like you're of a similar uh, cut from a similar cloth.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I want to push away from like clinical specialties and be a bit more involved in the hospital. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of ward-based medicine, how it is for junior doctors. It seems like we're glorified administrators or admins at the end of the day, from what I've heard um, and seen. But, um, but yeah, I, I think it's what you said. Like, There's a level of sort of this is serious. You need to be at the top of your game. When you're doing it that i don't think necessarily exists in other professions that also involve teaching and helping people
0: yeah yeah i think that's yeah that's very much a personal choice of like do you thrive on the stress or do you fold under the stress Mm -hmm. as an individual and in yeah in fairness if i i I, I haven't thought in these terms for a while but if i think of my friends who seem to genuinely enjoy medicine they are all the thrivers under stress (laughs) type people (laughs) and if i think of my friends who will occasionally say, hey, are you looking to hire someone? (laughs) Uh,
1: They tend to be the not a fan of stress kind of people. Part of it is also like this deeply ingrained sort of thinking that is in my head, and I guess of people in my generation as well, that like, in order to have success, in order to have happiness, in order to whatever, you need to be working hard. You need to be in a high-stress environment. You need to be pushing yourself, um, which is probably not true at all. But it's kind of like an intrinsic feeling of like you want to be doing something that's intense not necessarily stressful but like gets your blood going
0: yeah there's definitely like i've I've been doing a bunch of reading into this as well this uh culture of or this narrative that hard work is itself a virtue Mm -hmm. um and i think this is a very it's a very like pervasive um thing and it's it's not necessarily always bad all the time but i've begun to think uh, Hard, hard about, uh, about like, where this comes from, a whole like 1500s, the Protestant work ethic, the idea that working hard is itself a virtue that brings you closer to God. Mm. And it's not just about the fruits of your labor, it's also about how hard you work for it. Mm. And there's this, you know, there's a really good book um, by Paul Millard. oh I've
1: got a lot of copies there. <laughs>
0: give to you a copy of this. It's, it's sick. The Pathless yeah. Path, Imagining a New Story for Work and Life, mm-hmm. where he used to be like a management consultant, New York, et cetera, et cetera And then- ended up uh leaving his job after a few years and kind of massively cutting down his salary just doing a little bit of freelance stuff here and there and just doing the whole slow living exploring the world yeah. and he writes a lot about this kind of uh history of workism and where the idea that hard work is a virtue comes from and i think it's all it's all very interesting and it's something that i'm grappling with as well um because yeah <clears throat>
1: It, it, I think it's definitely something that's ingrained in us to some extent, maybe not so much in people who are like five years or so younger than us. But certainly for me and, and a lot of my friend group and how my parents raised me, it's like you need to work hard. Why do you need to work hard? Well, just because like, you <laughs> yeah. know, th- that's what you do. Like you go to uni, then you work hard and you support your family and, um, and you know, that's how you thrive. Um, and so a lot of like sitting down and studying or going to work is just. This is what I'm supposed to do. It's this natural drive that's kind of within us. I think if we all took a step back and think about it a little bit more, we'd realize this is probably isn't the case, and we shouldn't think of it like that. Um, but yeah, I just feel like it's something deeply ingrained inside. Um, you mentioned that maybe not for people five years
0: younger than us. What's like you probably speak to students who are like in their late teens, early twenties. What's mm-hmm.
1: what, what's their vibe? <laughs> a huge generalization incoming, but people of my parents' age and maybe our grandparents' age, their whole sort of life um, goals was uh, go to university, get a good job, and then you've made it in life. You are successful, you have your career, you have your family, you're good. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Whereas I feel like for a lot of people our age now and younger, that isn't where the primary source of happiness is coming from. I think people want to have a wider impact. They want to uh, focus a lot more on their social life, on their personal life. And then their job is just kind of something that they do to sustain themselves. Whereas in the past, the job was the one thing that you did, kind of. Mental health wasn't important. Social life wasn't important. It was all about sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Big generalization. Um, And so, yeah, I think people who are a bit younger than us uh, place a bigger importance on mental health and having fun and uh, balance in their life than maybe someone who has come, like myself, who's come from a migrant family and thinks, you know, I need to get my education, need to get a good job, need to have a family, blah, 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 mm. Yeah, one of the things that Paul Miller talks
0: about in the book, um, and he's got a tweet thread about this, is the accidental. We <laughs> love tweet threads. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's like a good condensation of like what, you know, sometimes is the book. Um, yeah. The the accidental meaning hypothesis. But okay. well, the idea there is that for our parents' generation, um, Going to university, getting that good job, staying with IBM for 50 years, working your way up, getting the company car and the health insurance mm-hmm. was in fact a recipe for a meaningful life. Back when we lived out in where, when we lived in the suburbs, the people were very involved in the community, uh, controversial point, but like the traditional family unit was a bit more of a thing. You would go to church on Sundays. You would have like, you would, you would know who your neighbors are. And if you followed that path, just by virtue of the fact that that was your life set up, life felt pretty meaningful. Like you have community, you have family, you have a social life by default. Um, Nowadays, where we live in a big, sprawling apartment buildings, we have no idea who the hell our neighbors are. Um, Fewer and fewer people are, for example, living with their families and living in their local communities and getting involved with the local communities. And it's all about like, how do I get ahead in my career, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Now the model of, oh, I'll just work at the same job for 40 years, no longer leads to accidental a meaningful, fulfilling life. Yeah. And now has, and therefore we have to think harder about what are the elements of a meaningful and fulfilling life that we just don't have by default and sp- incorporating them actively into our life rather than passively by default.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think our parents and grandparents had the right idea because as you said, you know, that's how society was. That's how the world was. If you wanted a meaningful life, that is what you had to do. I, I'm not saying they were wrong. Mm. I just think now if you follow that same recipe then you won't necessarily achieve the same things.
0: Mm, definitely definitely so how do you think that how do you think about that for yourself when it comes to medicine how do you think uh, your future career in medicine hypothesizing will mm. lead into this idea of a meaningful life what does what does that mean to you
1: i think to be honest a lot of it is um, i've set this goal for myself or i'm on this path of becoming a doctor yeah. and hence i'm just on the treadmill until i become a doctor and then i'm going to think about the next steps you oh. know what i mean like if i think about it too hard everything becomes everything becomes stressful and it becomes too much to, <laughs> it becomes too much to handle you know let I me know just focus on one thing at a time yeah Um, so, you know, after I graduate uh, medicine, I just really want to see what the job is actually like for the first two years. This is my sort of big goal for the next two years is to find out what does it mean to actually be a doctor working day in and day out? How am I going to feel? Am I going to have the impact that I think I'm going to have right now? Is it going to be as satisfying and fulfilling as I think it's going to be? And then after that, I can make decisions on, you know, what I want to do next or if I want to change. But until then, I think it would be very hard and just really speculative more than anything. how do I think medicine is going to fit into my life um, in terms of providing me with happiness and accomplishment? Again, it, it's it's about what I think it's going to give yeah. me. You know, I don't actually know because I haven't worked it. I've talked to people and I've been there, but I don't I don't know. Mm. I hope that it will give me all those things, um, and I have faith that it will. Touch wood. Yeah, I think I think this is a really healthy way of looking at things. Like in a
0: way, you're not. You know, the whole like Simon Sinek, start with why stuff. Like, why are you really doing? That? I I've always I've always kind of felt that especially for making decisions about career and about life and these sort of big decisions, especially when you're young, it's actually very hard to start with why and be like, why am I actually doing this? What's my goal? What's my broader purpose? What's, what's the point? And it gets you into this mode of thinking, huh, mm, I really don't want to think about this right now. I just want to, no, like, definitely <laughs> not. let's, let's <coughs> worry about this a little bit later. And so I think some level of introspection is good to be, but I think, I think the way you're approaching it is absolutely sick where you're like, okay, my hypothesis is that Working in medicine will lead to a meaningful life because of A, B, C, D, and E. Um, and I'm going to test the hypothesis over the next two years.
1: Exactly. And then yeah. I'll
0: focus on that. And then I'll worry about it further further down the line. Exactly. You're not like up in arms like, oh my god, like I had a bad day on the wards today as a fourth-year medical student or whatever.
1: Therefore, never, is never, medicine not ready for me. <laughs> like never, never, never. Yeah. Um, there's this there's this idea of um, not being results oriented. So I don't mean results as in like getting good grades or things like that. I mean not being outcome oriented. Mm. So this is a term that comes from poker. And when you play poker and um, you make a, so when you're playing poker and you make a call or you or you raise or you fold or whatever, you are making a action. Now that action, you don't know whether it was the right action or the wrong action until um, the cards come out and you know whether you won or lost. But at the time when you made that decision, there is a mathematically correct response for you to make. So you make the response that is best and then there's variance and there's luck involved as to whether that actually results in you winning or losing, right? So if you make that correct decision at the beginning, I think the outcome is absolutely irrelevant. And this is a huge philosophy that I live my life by. I just tell myself, make the best decision that you can with the information that you have right now. Whatever happens after that could be good, could be bad based on that decision, but you did the right thing at the time. And that lifts all this weight off my shoulders of, did I make the right decision? Should I have done this? Should I have done that? There's no questioning involved. I just I just made the decision that I did with the information I had at the time. And I can't ask myself of anything else, you know?
0: Yeah, that's so good. I love that. Um, the The quote that I found myself thinking about a lot, which relates to that is, I think it's a quote from like Buddhism or something, uh, or some other <coughs> Eastern tradition, uh, which is a uh, total commitment to the process, total equanimity about the outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to make the best decision I can. I'm going to put the effort into it that I can while having fun. And who cares what the outcome is? And I remember this sort of when I, you know, working working on the book, part of me wants it to be a New York Times bestseller and all that stuff, stuff, obviously. But that's an outcome. And that's an outcome that I have no control over. Yeah. So I'm going to commit to the process. I'm going to show up and do my best. And exactly. the outcome is
1: in God's hands. Exactly. <laughs> and so exactly. it's all good. Like, I suddenly don't need to worry about this shit anymore. I exactly. Can just, I can, you I, don't have I, to think can about do what it. I can. Yeah, it's glorious. <laughs> 100%. It sounds strange to say this out loud, but I make as few decisions as I can in my day. I don't really think about things. I just tell myself what I'm gonna do based on what I think is the best action, Mm. and then I go do it. Because if I think about it too hard, then you start thinking about should I have done this, should I have done that, why am I doing this, how do I feel about it, et cetera. I think it really impedes the process and takes away from whatever your end goal is. Um, And you know, being introspective and reflective as you were talking about before, is something that I really admire in people because it's something that I haven't been able to do for pretty much all my life. Uh, And now I'm doing it a little bit more recently. but to, to a certain extent, I think it's good. Mm. Too much of it and overthinking yeah. is also bad. You need a good balance. Um, so yeah. So this segues nicely into therapy. Yeah, so let's do it. Tell me more. <laughs> tell me more. So, so what happened? Um, I was at the end of my fourth year of medical school. I kind of did summer and then came back to medical school. And kind of before I knew it, I just found myself like not wanting to get out of bed. All right? Which is something I've never experienced before, and I really pride myself on being a consistently happy person. Nothing yeah. gets me down; like everything is water under the bridge, yeah, brush same. things off <laughs> my shoulder, whatever. Like, as we said, like I don't think about things too hard. Whatever the outcome is, the outcome is. I made the best decision, so you know, like I'm constantly happy, pretty much. Like Touchwood. Anyways, we got to this point where um, I kind of was like. Yeah, just like feeling like I wasn't enjoying my day as much as I should. And suddenly I wasn't getting up on my first alarm ringing and I was getting up on my like third or fifth. And I was like, what's going on here? By an absolute stroke of luck, at the same time, uh, a company that provides uh, mental counseling and therapy services had reached out to me and said, we want to sponsor a video on the channel. So I said, okay, cool. That's great. I'm making a video about burnout. Uh, That's a great fit. Why don't you give me access to the platform so I can test it out and use it? And these two things were happening at the same time. I hadn't this is all in retrospect that I realized, you know, I wasn't feeling that good. So we set up like the first therapy session. And I remember before going, I was on the phone to my girlfriend and I was like, babe, like what am I gonna say? Like, what am what am I gonna talk about to this person? Like they're just a random person, they don't know me. I don't have anything to say. Like life is good. Um and we we start the call. And before I knew it, I was just rambling, rambling, rambling about all these things that I was getting off of my chest, that I had been feeling all of these years and all this time that I'd literally not just taken the time to stop and think about. And I was, I was thinking to myself, like, Nasser, you're doing all of these things in your life, keeping yourself busy, like trying to make others happy and trying to help other people. And you didn't take a second to think about this stuff. Like, why did you wait so long? And it was kind of this uh, place where I was living in like ignorance is bliss, just don't think about the why, don't think about how you're feeling about it. X, Y, and Z, just get the thing done. Um, And I wasn't reflecting on kind of anything that was happening in my life. And um, through the course of like a couple of therapy sessions, Um, I felt like I was reflecting a lot more on how I was feeling about medical school, about the YouTube channel, about my family, about life, my girlfriend, you know, everything. And it kind of opened up this part of my brain that I had never used before or thought about before, which is, you know, you can think about the things that you're doing and you can acknowledge how it makes you feel. Um, And yeah, it's been been really fantastic. I kind of think as the last year as pre-therapy and post-therapy in terms of like how I live my life. Interesting. Yeah, sorry, thank big, you for, big ramble. But thank like, you for being so open about this. This is fantastic stuff. Yeah, for sure. You know, I've been saying all this time to like to friends, to family, to patients, I'm like, you know, like seek mental health services, do this, do that. Um, and so, you know, if I'm advocating for people to go to this, like I should be talking about it quite openly as well. Um,
0: and yeah. So what have been some of the changes in your <clears throat> life pre and post therapy? Yeah.
1: Mm. Um, I think kind of the biggest one is I'm trying to be a bit less of a like robot Ah, in terms of uh, thinking and my actions, but most importantly, time management. Okay, so I am someone who prides myself a lot on my time management, and I think that I balance a lot of things in my life really well, Um, and it all like kind of comes naturally to me, and and it all goes well. The sort of downside to that is that um, I'm constantly working you know i'm constantly like moving from one thing to the next and it's really difficult to stay in the moment You know if we were doing this pre-therapy i'd be thinking about okay as soon as i leave this this podcast i'm going to go home i'm going to have a 10 minute coffee break then i'm going to sit down for half an hour and i'm going to work on my emails and then i'm going to have a two-hour study session with kenji and georgina my parents are going to come we're going to go for dinner i wouldn't be thinking about us in this moment right now i would always be thinking about what's next what's next what's next and i used to keep track of every single thing i did in my life i like i could tell you how long it takes for me to do any task, walk from here to there, go to the bathroom, make a tea versus a coffee, make this food versus that food. You know, I was just very hyper-focused on time. Um, And kind of through therapy, I've realized that I can still complete everything I want to do in my life without necessarily sort of working on the to-do list up until I go to sleep at midnight. Or, you know, constantly squeezing in little bits of work on the bus, on the train, when I'm walking, things like that. I've taken like a much more relaxed attitude towards life. which has been amazing. Would highly recommend for anyone who thinks they might benefit from therapy to give it a try. Okay.
0: Wow. <laughs> Sorry, that's, that, that was that's, a lot. No, no, this is great. That's that's all very interesting. Okay. Um, I have heard people say things to that effect of like, um, for example, we did an interview with Julian Hearn, the founder of Huel. Yes. And similarly with James Hoffman, uh, the uh, the coffee shop who you're probably yeah, yeah. probably familiar with. Yeah. And one thing I'm always intrigued by is to what extent is it that the hustle hustle mind, the kind of I'm going to have coffee rather than tea because tea takes an extra three minutes to brew and I can't be asked to wait three minutes because I have to do work on my to-do list. To what extent was that a thought process that served you when you were young and, quote, not successful? Um, or is it that now that you're a little bit more enlightened around the whole work-life balance, hustle culture, not, not amazing type thing? Mm. is. Is that a kind of privileged position to have, to be able to be like, oh, actually, I can smell the roses? Whereas back in the day when you were struggling to make ends meet, you're, or, or you know, whatever that looked like for you, mm-hmm. smelling the roses was a luxury you couldn't afford.
1: Yeah, so really good point to, to make is that like, I largely attribute the success of my YouTube channel and my success in medical school and in my relationships and whatever. Um, Uh, obviously there's a lot of luck involved and a lot of things have gone my way. I'm I'm extremely privileged to begin with and with everything that's happened so far. Um, But a lot of that is because of that really hard work. So had I not been so obsessed about my time management and working in every little pocket that I had, staying up late, sacrificing sleep, sacrificing social life, meetings with friends, whatever, I really don't think I could have ended up in the position that I'm in. Mm. There's a lot of things involved. Luck is most certainly very involved. Um, but without that kind of hard work, I wouldn't be able to be here. And so I don't regret doing any of those things. And I think they were a necessary ingredient in the concoction that puts me in the place that I am today. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of what I talked about before. I feel like I've been on this hamster wheel for so, so long. Yeah. And I've reached the level of success infinitely bigger than I thought I would ever have, right? To think I'm gonna hit a million subscribers soon is absolutely ridiculous, right? When I reach 10,000, the numbers stop making sense, and then you get your silver plaque, and you're like, oh, okay, this symbolizes 100,000. Like, I'm more successful in terms of YouTube numbers and whatever than I would ever hope to be. I've made it, right? If I quit today, I would be happy, like, I'm good. Mm. Um, And so I've reached that level of success where I feel like, or success in terms of uh, this, where I feel like I can take that step back now and say to myself, you know, and also like, you did the hard work, you did the thing. Yeah. Um, now you can realize maybe you can take a step back and sort of live a little bit more slow and relaxed. Mm.
0: Interesting. If you had your time again, would you have wanted to live more slow and relaxed? Uh, maybe at the expense of some quote growth, or would you be, would you would would you do all again and sort of treat treat your 20, uh, early twenties as like a okay this is hustle season and now I'm in chill season kind of vibe? Uh,
1: I think I think I would definitely do everything the same. The reason is that I thoroughly enjoyed the whole process. I wasn't going through that time, you know like I said, sleepless nights and this and that. I wasn't going through all of that wishing that I had more sleep or yeah. wishing that, I was staying up late because I was excited about posting the video the next day, you know? Um, and so I really enjoyed that whole process and I I wouldn't change it going back. The only thing I would do really is study less for my university in the earlier years, like first and second year in both degrees because I just overworked during that time when I didn't really necessarily need to. Um, but otherwise, no, like the hard, the, the the work ethic and the discipline, I think, is necessary.
0: Yeah, I like that. So, so it's like um, there's, there's this other quote that I came across, which was along the lines of uh, insofar as you enjoy it, there is nothing wrong with working very really hard. <laughs> yeah. And it's when you start finding yourself not enjoying it that you can reassess. Be like, OK, hang on. It's a bit weird that I'm, I don't want to get out of bed now. Like I'm supposed to be the guy that's like freaking having an amazing time doing all the things, winning on all the fronts. Now something has changed. Whoops, something has changed and therefore I don't really enjoy it anymore. Let me examine that. And in a way, it's like, let's go, go, go. And sometimes you do have to push yourself a little too bit too far to recognize where that limit where that line is. Mm-hmm. And then you take a step back. You're like, okay, cool. That's that's reasonable.
1: Yeah. I um I really think to sort of achieve um a level of success, whatever that means in any field that you're in you do have to put in that extra work harder than the person who's sitting next to you. You know, a lot of luck and privilege is involved, obviously. Um, But I do think that at the end of the day, without the hard work, no matter how much luck and privilege you have, you're not going to get to that point. Um, And so I recently made a video about toxic productivity because... um, I I came to the conclusion that a lot of the videos on my channel would fall under the toxic productivity category. So (laughs) long study sessions. Yeah, how I study 14 hours a day. Yeah, Yeah. I mean (laughs) that kind of stuff. All I talk about is like time management and studying and productivity, right? Yeah. And in that video, the the case that I try to make is that First of all, this is what I'm actually doing. I'm not, I'm not actually sleeping all day and just making these videos. This is what I'm actually doing. And the only reason that I'm doing it is because I'm enjoying it. No one's No one's sitting here with a gun to my head saying, Nasser, work harder and be more aware of your time management. These are things that I do because I enjoy them. Mm. And I'm sharing them because I think that other people might find value in them. And if you do, then that's fantastic. And if you don't, you don't have to watch this video. You don't have to you know, uh, take part in this. If, if this content is something that you don't want to consume, then like that's completely fair enough. I understand where you're coming from. This really isn't for everyone. And so, yeah, like it should be okay as long as you enjoy it, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, there's like this balance between, you know, on the internet, people want you to be authentic. But only authentic insofar as it ticks the boxes that society has decided in that given season is yeah. an appropriate amount of work and life to have.
1: Yeah. Exactly, right? Yeah. Had we been making these videos like 50 years ago, it would just be all praise about hard work and dedication yeah. <laughs> and, and work ethic and motivation. But today, most people feel like, actually no, this is negative, this is bad. And that's fair enough, people are entitled to feel that way. But it doesn't mean that there's something inherently wrong with the videos that we're making. That's mm-hmm. the point that, I, that I'm that i trying to make.
0: Yeah, it's a good place to be. So are you still going ongoing on with the therapy thing or was it like a few sessions?
1: Later? <laughs> so yeah, so it was an eight week thing and I kind of treated it like, an essay or an assignment or a game or something. Throughout the whole therapy session, I would just be taking notes like frantically on all the important points. Yeah. And at the end, I would make myself an action plan. Yeah. And then during the week, I would work on the action plan and make sure that I was actually doing the things that were going to help me in some way, shape, or form. Mm. So let's say in therapy session one, we would identify X or Y problem. I would think about how can I fix X or Y problem, work on it during the week, and then report back, I fixed X, I haven't 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 quite fixed Y, let's work on that a little bit more. Yeah. It's a very something like productivity, that. bro. Way of dealing with therapy. It is. It is. It yeah. is. But, but I can't imagine doing do, it do any other be. way. Yeah. And I think I think half of therapy is uh, talking to someone else, listening to them, um, having them you know tell you things. The other half is you need to put in some amount of work to try and change the things that you're unhappy with, or um, or you know whatever it is that you need to do. Um, so yeah, I think you need a little bit of both for sure. Okay. So we were talking about like
0: your pre and post therapy self and you said one of the things definitely is that you've taken taken the foot off the gas a little bit, shall yeah. we say. Um, that reminded me of a story that Derek Sivers writes about in his book. I think it's in Anything You Want, where he talks about how he would always go for a cycle every day and it would take him 40 minutes to go and he'd be sweating at the end of it and he'd be like, cool, I need to, I need to make my time. It's 40 minutes. Yeah. And then one day he decided, you know what, I'm just going to enjoy the cycle ride. It's like, oh, cool. Like, oh, smelling the roses on the way and picking up a little pebble and like, you know, just like actually enjoying the cycle ride. And he gets back, he looks at the the clock and it's 42 minutes. And he's like, damn, was I really huffing and puffing and wearing myself out for the sake of two extra minutes? That seems a bit weird.
1: (laughs) That's a really excellent analogy of how I feel pre and post therapy. I'm still achieving the same things. I'm just taking it a little bit more relaxed and enjoying Mm -hmm. myself a little bit more. And really the amount of output that I'm losing is minimal. And that's the realization that I've had, which I didn't have before. I was under the assumption that, you know, I just have to continue working up until the point that I go to sleep, because every night when I go to sleep, I look at my to-do list and there's 10 items on there. And I'm like, well, I could probably bang out two of these right now before I go to bed, or I can leave them all tomorrow. The obvious choice is to bang two of these before I go to bed, let's get that done. Nowadays, so post-therapy, right, or during therapy, for the first time in my life, I sat down in bed and I watched a movie on Netflix by myself. Up until that point, yeah, (gasps) yeah, right. Which which sounds crazy, right? I mean, you know, my girlfriend has been telling me to do this forever. My friends have been telling me to do this forever, and I would always think to myself, like, why would I do that when I could work on my to do list? Like, (laughs) it's not about being unproductive. It's just I wanted to do the other things. Like, I have this to do list of things that I genuinely enjoy. Let me get some of them done. Yeah, and so now I just watch a movie before I go to bed. And I do those two tasks in the morning instead of the night before. And I just relax at the end of the day and unwind. Like, why do I need to be on this constant hamster wheel of running, 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 doing all this time management stuff? I can just take a bit of a step back. And like you said, it'll take me 42 minutes instead of 40. Um, And it's not the end of the world. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of the the change that I'm going through now. Have you come across uh, 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman? You would enjoy it. It's uh, We've got it here somewhere.
0: Uh, It's great. It's like a sort of 2022 slash 2021 productivity book in inverted commas but it's it's not really about productivity it's 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 more it's more like a philosophical approach to time management Mm. recognizing that four thousand weeks is roughly the amount of time we have on this earth Mm -hmm. and uh once we accept the finitude of existence and our own mortality we stop uh trying to cram all these things and juggle all these balls and we recognize that there genuinely isn't enough time for all the important things and therefore, some things are just going to have to be put in the bin for now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a very liberating and interesting read, I uh, would recommend. And for anyone listening, we have an interview with Oliver Berkman, which will also be linked in the, in the show notes down below. Shameless plug. Very nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I've, I found myself having similar realizations where I used to feel bad about like not replying to people. And now I don't feel bad about not replying to people mm-hmm. on like WhatsApp or emails and stuff. And emails like will be-
1: friends or people on the internet uh, watch your stuff?
0: Both to an extent. Like friends, I still feel a little bit bad because like it's a friendship to maintain and I try not to apply productivity bro lens to friendships. Um, but even friends to an extent, to be honest, like I used to feel guilty that, oh, I have these 80 unread WhatsApps and it's all people, friends of mine. How? Like <laughs> even like, fr- yeah, friends who like I should be replying to. And I know I want to reply to them, <coughs> but like, oh, I just can't bring myself to make the time to to do this thing and now i guess what i've accepted is just like yeah i'm just that's okay like maybe maybe i will lose out on one or two friendships because i was not sufficiently good at replying to whatsapp messages but actually that's okay that's a sacrifice i'm willing to make and the amount of extra stress it adds to my life to feel the need to maintain a a i don't know two hour response time on to whatsapps yeah does not justify uh (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's just not worth it. Similarly with emails, similarly with I, what I found as well is random items on my to-do list. Whereas I used to think of my to-do list as I have to get all these things done. Now I think of it as as long as I just get the most important things done each day, it really does not matter if all the other stuff does not get done yeah. forever, like yeah, indefinitely. It yeah. doesn't matter in the slightest. It's actually all good. And unless like a tax bill comes along, which is too easy to put off or, or something <laughs> like that, there, there are very few things that are genuinely necessary And important on the to-do list and there's certainly not going to be like 10 to 100 of them like i used to have if i can just do my most important tasks each day and maybe and maybe one or two other things and i do that every day for a whole year then i'll make so much more progress than if i think of my to-do list as a series of items that need checking off
1: definitely i I think there's also a um like thinking switch that you make where you know, my to-do list used to be something that anytime I'd strict one thing off, I would immediately think, oh, okay, what do I want to do next? Well, I want to start making merch. I want to start a Patreon. I want to upload a new video. I want to write a script for this, blah, blah, blah. So there was always things to add. There was a never ending incoming stream of things that I could potentially put on my to-do list. Yeah. And it's like you said, you, you, what you need to realize is like, let me just focus on the most important things that I want to do right now. Once those are done, I can think about adding on a new project. It doesn't all have to get done before I go to sleep at midnight or whatever. Um, so so yeah this this uh thinking shift in time management from having to get everything done as quickly as possible as efficiently as possible um to just taking a little bit less time but enjoying it exponentially more is something that's that I've been going through and that I think is really important I wish I'd known it earlier yeah. I wish I'd experienced it earlier um and yeah it's kind of a change that I'm trying to make now mm. Yeah, it reminds me of something that I heard an emergency medicine
0: consultant say once on one of my shifts, which is that don't worry about the list. The list is never ending. The patients are going to keep coming in and there's nothing you can do about that. So just embrace the fact that there's nothing you can do about the list Mm -hmm. and just focus on the patient in front of you and try and make that patient have a great time. And then focus on the next one in terms of priority order, in terms of triage, and then the next one and then the next one. And stop worrying about the list. It's all good. If we breach four hours, who cares? Like, you know. <laughs> we'll be all right. We,
1: we'll be all right. We got this. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's, it's that exact point that there's yeah. a never-ending list of patients and each one of them is going to come with their sub sub list of tasks that need to get done. Yeah. Um, so, yeah.
0: So, well, yeah, just one at a time in triage priority order. One at a time. And one day at a time. Trust, trust in the process. Trust in the process. The ones process. that don't need to be there will just leave. Um, the drunk people will just wake up and leave. <laughs> and as long as you have addressed... The most pressing people, as and when, and giving them a good experience, and everyone else is doing the same, the system will 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 will, will sort itself it's, out. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas I find that um, kind of on days, this was in my, my early few days when I, when I had like a and e shifts, uh, it would be like, oh my god, we have all these eight patients under medicine that need to be seen. As like, I don't need to worry about that. That's way beyond my pay grade. <laughs> you just didn't see the one. <laughs> Let's not Worry about that. I'm just going to see the one in front of me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> would you recommend therapy? Because I, 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 I tried it for a few weeks. I had a therapist uh, from the School of Life. Uh, okay. And after a few weeks, I found that I was really struggling to come up with things to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it
1: was like over Zoom, and people are like, oh, it's better in real life. Like, yeah, yeah what, a, what was your? So I did it over Zoom. And there's definitely a little bit of a disconnect there. Um, was your therapist male or female? Female. OK, cool. Um, I just think. Well, I'll speak for myself, but like as a like man, I found it easier to open up to a woman um, because of the biases of like being a man and holding all your emotions in and this is which I shouldn't be experiencing anyway, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, anyways, so I wanted to say if, if that wasn't working, but also a lot of people don't uh, vibe with the first therapist that they see. Oh. Um, it's like super common to change therapists and like try different ones out until you meet someone who you kind of connect with. Um, and all this to say, like, it's genuinely changed how I think and why I do on a day-to-day basis. I'm a much more relaxed person than I was before. Yeah. And it kind of just took someone to, like, tap me on the shoulder and be like, hey, man, like, are you thinking about what you're doing right now? Like, do you feel okay? Like, how's it going? And I just I hadn't thought about it. I was literally running on this infinite treadmill uh, that I was never going to run out. And I was just going, 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 not thinking about things too much. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, yeah, it kind of, like I said, tapped me on the shoulder and gave me a step back.
0: And I guess final question on the therapy front. Okay, so I'm sold. I'm I'm going to give it a go. Um, I do sometimes think that so a few of my business coaches end up being therapists because a lot of their stuff is around like, why are we doing this? What are the goals here? Like, Mm -hmm. have you already thought about this? (laughs) But um, Fair enough. What are some, uh, as you were going through the therapy stuff, were there any particular questions that the therapist asked that made you think, oh, that's a good question that you could, that Mm -hmm. would maybe be good as like a journaling prompt for someone who's maybe listening to this who, doesn't want to slash can't afford to see a therapist.
1: I think one of the things she said to me was um, like, who are you doing this for? Um, and if the answer isn't that you're doing it for yourself, then you know you, you might want to rethink about whether you should be doing it in the first place. One of the things that we talked about was that um, I felt that there were a lot of people surrounding me in my life that were going through difficult times. Um, and they wanted to talk about X, Y, or Z with me. And um, I would never turn away um, someone like that. Um, And so that was taking like quite a big toll on me, uh, both emotionally and mentally and things like that. Um, And she was saying to me, you know, like, to what to what benefit is this for you? There comes a point where you're giving away too much of yourself and you're not you're giving away too much of yourself. And it's only going to be to your detriment. And so uh, she was talking about, you know, how maybe you can draw those boundaries or those lines, things like that. This might be a bad example, because the conclusion that I came to in the end was that. I would never say no if it was a close friend or family, because I think even if I was to make that sacrifice and be under more emotional stress, it's more important that I try and help the person who's, who's come to me. Any final comments on the therapy side, any front? Um, you would have told yourself earlier or you would recommend for me? The, the honest thing I would say is that I never in a million years thought that I was someone who might benefit from therapy or that I would need therapy, I would find it useful, or anything along those lines. And I was very, very shocked. Uh, just how much I gained from it. And so really what I want to say is that if you think there's even a small chance you could benefit from it or find it useful, then give it a go, Um, and yeah, see see what happens. All right, I'm sold, it's gonna happen. Uh, Changing gears a little bit, can we talk about your relationship? Yes, we can. Um, So how long have you and Alexia been together? So we've been together now for nine years. Nine years, bloody hell. uh, Yeah, long, long time. So you met in Canada or? Uh, We met uh, when we were in high school, we went to high school together. Oh, that's cute yeah
0: um okay so i have a bunch of questions um sure i'm curious what it's like being public somewhat public about your relationship Mm -hmm. and what it's like the fact that she is a youtuber as well and how you balance the whole like public life versus
1: private life side of things um broad there's a lot of all of the the things yeah (laughs) um i think let's start with the public versus private life yeah i think the most important thing that we do that I do both for myself on my channel and that we do in videos that we're together is everything that we show in these videos is really carefully selected. And what I mean by that is that I want exactly zero input from people who I've never met before on the internet into what to do in my relationship. A relationship is difficult enough as it is. There's a lot of things to balance, you know, and to have other people's opinions or comment on the smile that you did at 1.31 or how you put your arm on their shoulder at 6.52 is like just things I don't need in my life, right? So a lot of the videos where Alexia is involved are really travel vlogs. um, And Alexia is in those in different clips of us just having fun and going out and drinking coffee and things like that. But we've been really careful not to sort of sit down in front of a camera and be like, hey guys, this is our life and our relationship and this is what we like, this is what we don't like because we don't want to have an online relationship. We don't want mm-hmm. it to be in the public eye. Um, and so that's kind of how we, we handle that. We don't really, I, at least I don't think we put that much of ourselves out there.
0: Yeah, I've, I've had it a few times with like, <clears throat> generally when filming videos with a woman, so either Sheen or Elizabeth or like Unjaded Jade or doing a podcast with Ruby Granger. It's like, are you dating? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's always it's always the things of are you dating? And there's like large amounts of like at 17 minutes and 34 seconds. You know, that look that came into his eye, it really shows that he's in love with her. Or that smile that she gave him at 19 minutes and 24 seconds really suggests that she's in love with him. Or like exactly. that, that look he had made him, uh, made him look like, it. oh, God, that was so rude. I was like, dude, exactly. talking, like I was, I was looking up, uh, the, the, I didn't even know what I was doing at the time, but I had like, I might notion in front of me on the iPad to figure out where the conversation is going next. And it's like, when you're doing a live stream with someone, you can't look at the camera, but you have to, you want to look at them and
1: Mm -hmm,
0: like mm -hmm. like, all of of this stuff and the amount of like random (laughs) shit in the comments of being sort of people having an opinion on everything oh my god this video this this made me realize that ali ali has no like emotional capacity because he did not make eye contact with her when she was sitting next to him he was looking at the camera instead it's like bro have you ever tried speaking to a camera (laughs) you're supposed to look at the camera yeah yeah um yeah so i guess like how did you decide that the how did do you actively decide that you wanted to go down the occasional cameos in travel vlogs mm-hmm. route, rather than in the, hey guys, let's ask, you know, answering dating questions Q&A. you are, yeah,
1: dating Q&A, what, yeah. what he's like as a person kind of content. I think from, from the very first post I ever made online, I had a really conscious decision to separate my private life and my online life. Yeah, And I have this huge fear that one day, everyone's gonna know everything about me on the internet. Um, And so I work really hard to try and separate those two things. You know, I made a separate Instagram page, I have my own private one, I made a separate YouTube channel, I have my own private one. Um, And what I post and what I share online, and I talked about this in a recent video as well, is like, you know, I only share the things that I want to put online, right? I'm, I go through the footage, I hold the camera, and I film myself. Like, I decide when I want to film and what I want to show. Yeah. And it is all carefully selected because, you know, this is an online impression that I'm giving to other people. Now, it is true that what I do show on camera is like 99% true to real life, but I wouldn't choose to pick up the camera when I'm really bothered or upset or angry or something like mm. that. You know, I think that makes logical sense. But I think what people sometimes who are watching videos don't understand is that you don't know the person who you're watching. You don't really know them in a deep capacity more than what they're choosing to show you online. And so when someone says, you know, Ali doesn't have the emotional capacity because he doesn't look at X, Y, and Z, like you're getting such a small snapshot of this person in this video that they've chosen to upload. Mm. How they act or be off camera could be completely different, mm. you know? And like, I don't know. I mean, we've met a couple of times. Hopefully you think that I'm the same on camera and off camera. Um, but uh, it, it is really a selective thing that goes out. You know, we don't just show everything. Do you show everything about your life? No, not really. Right. Because, you know, you want to have your own private life as well. Um, and so, oh yeah, that's where we were. So from the very beginning with my own channel, I made this huge distinction between private and public. And I think even more so with the relationship, because there's just this natural fascination that people have with relationships and people being couples online and whatever. Um, I think we've tried to keep that up of keeping it offline, not offline, but keeping it as private as we can. Mm. And how does how do
0: things work with the fact that Alexia has her own YouTube channel as well? What do you mean? As in, do, do I, I guess, um do you get like so you your your channel is significantly bigger than hers so do you get your army of fanboys and fangirls going over to her channel and commenting on her videos and wanting to be wanting to like i don't know be part of that Uh, yeah how how does that work
1: yeah i mean um I'm so incredibly proud of every video she puts out because her first like 20 videos are the same as my, like I don't know, 50th to 70th video or something. They're so much better than how I started. Um, and so pretty much every video she puts out, I post it on my Instagram story and I'm like, please everyone go watch it if you're yeah. interested. It might be really fun. Um, yeah, no, I'm, re- I'm really proud of her. I think uh, I think she makes really great content and she's a lot, she is the, queen of reflection and introspection and things like that Um, and so I think she does that quite well on camera something that I'm struggling to do and I'm I'm working on Um, and so yeah I I really love her videos and I promote them as much as I can Mm. Um, I'm not quite sure I understand what you mean by like how does it work Um,
0: yeah I guess does she get weird comments on her videos from like your fans type thing or um, Do you get like I don't know really. girls on the internet who are in love with you who are annoyed that you have a girlfriend? I, yeah, I, I yeah, guess I'm just course, sort of thinking yeah. about like weird people on the internet and oh, how they like, react. Oh, I, to I see
1: what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean. I get all kinds of weird DMs. I'm sure you get the same. Like, you know, there's the full-on marriage proposals. Yeah. There's the like the nudes. The like, <laughs> you know, people asking you out to coffee and things like that. And I've never gotten any nudes. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> it's just me. Um, and and yeah, it's it's kind of one of those things that you see and you're like. Like, why am I seeing this right now? You know, I, I'm, I'm not interested in this. This is lying in bed, man. This is not why I'm on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I'm why, here to respond. Why are you sending me this? I'm here to respond to, like, UCAT advice and, like, yeah. studying motivation. Um, anyway, so, so, yeah, you know, I get all kinds of weird messages mm-hmm. and stuff, but just don't give them attention, delete, block, whatever. The thing is, like, I'm not interested in that type of thing at all, right? Um, you know, I'm in this long-term relationship that I'm really happy in, and I'm, I'm you know, I'm not going to be distracted by some stupid DM on, on Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Would you ever consider making a couples channel that's a bit more like Q&A about a relationship? Absolutely not, no, no. Again, like, you're in a relationship now, right? Mm. So, you know, think about how much, like, time, effort, emotion, thinking, ups and downs go on in a relationship. Yeah. And then just add the the added pressure of hundreds or thousands of people having an opinion on how you guys interact online or how you appear to be with each other or... Things like that, it's just all this added stress that we really don't need, you know? Um, So yeah, I I don't think we would ever go down that route. Um, Tell me about your relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've not gone public with it just yet. Okay.
0: Um, It feels like a very big move to go public with it. It is, yeah. And so given that it's still like early days, it's been like six months, um, we've decided that let's, let's like you know take it slow in terms of like bringing things into the public domain Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. one idea that i i really like the idea of in theory anyway is the idea of for example having a couples channel Mm -hmm. uh, which is why i was asking you about it because i do follow a bunch of couples vloggy lifestyle channels and i i I think oh this is really nice it's really wholesome and it's 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 cute how they do q's and A's together and it's cute how i don't know those videos of like um guy asking girls questions that guys are afraid to ask girls and vice versa yeah yeah it just makes me interesting content um but i guess it does require a large amount of uh thinking about and i guess what you see is definitely not what is necessarily happening behind the scenes yeah and what they're doing is what they're putting out is like a an airbrushed image of what's actually
1: going on yeah definitely um i think another thing to think about like definitely in my case as counterintuitive as it might be i have never been comfortable just pulling out a camera in group settings with my friends or you know I mean in the studio I I would never pull out the camera and start talking uh, vlogging because yeah. it's just not something that I'm comfortable with mm. and so a lot of my youtube channels me talking to myself in my bedroom or me with the camera one on one vlogging walking around or whatever and so being on camera in front of another person even my girlfriend is a dynamic that I don't I don't necessarily want to do and is something that I don't think I'd be very comfortable with okay it's um you know, at least for like a couple's channel type thing, I think if if you're one off here and there doing things together, it's it's whatever. Um, but like in terms of an official channel, I think I would struggle with it. But you know, some people find it really fun and, and easy, so it's I think it's a personal thing as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so.
0: I think I should I should treat it with the same sort of scientific method that you do for your uh, what well, I enjoy medicine thing. Of mm. I have a hypothesis that this will be fun. Let's try it out. Maybe even like make some videos and not publish them. Sure. And see what the vibe is. Maybe make, make like five or 10 videos. And if we decide after that point to not publish them, then that's fine. They're interesting memories. And if we decide to publish them, great. We're 10 weeks ahead in terms of content.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think like it also depends on how comfortable you are in the relationship. If, yeah. y- if you guys both feel very secure um, and you're happy with each other, then those types of online comments are not going to play as big of a role. Mm-hmm. You're not going to think about them that much. or. Uh, you know i mean you know if you were to put out a video with your girlfriend tomorrow that would be a significant event for the ali abdal community yeah. you know like this would well, be, be one out of ten fireworks like, like the yeah it'd be absolutely exactly insane, through know? the roof so you're, you're gonna get yeah. <laughs> a lot of like comments and, yes. and whatever a lot of it is probably going to be really positive um but um yeah i don't know it's just it's added pressure It's added pressure and i think i'm I'm trying to reduce pressure in my life like (laughs) (laughs) i don't i don't want any more things to do yeah (laughs) exactly coming up anyway (laughs) exactly yeah so yeah i guess it's not something i'm interested in exploring at the moment yeah okay nice um
0: so you've been together for nine years what's what's the secret to a long long long-term relationship
1: um if any (laughs) i think in one word is communication for Mm. me like um when we were in our first degrees, I was in Toronto in Canada and she was uh, here in uh, Bath studying for her university and I was in Canada for mine. And no joke, we would have the Skype call open for like 32 hours at a time, you know, like 18 hours, 24 hours, whatever. Like the Skype call was just a permanent object on both of our desks. It was open while we slept, while we woke up, went to breakfast, whatever, you know. Um, And I think that level of Communication, that level of feeling together, even when we were apart, yeah. um, is kind of uh, what helped us th- through then, and also just generally. I think if you don't, well, it's hard to give general advice because everyone's really different. But yeah. I'll say for myself, like I'm one of those people who wants to talk to my partner quite often, wants yeah. to be involved, wants to be, um, you know, filled in. And so for us, talking and communicating quite often is helps a lot. I think okay. for sure, nice.
0: Um- that's all, all. very useful. I have more questions to ask you offline, which yeah. we we'll, we'll, <laughs> sure. will t- we'll take on uh, after this. After this recording, yeah, absolutely. Um, changing, changing directions, finally to the other element of like, other than like relationships and work that make for a meaningful life, generally health. Sure. You take care of your health. Like I've seen some of your f- of your vlogs, six pack abs and all that. Like how how do you do it? Like what's what's yeah. going on there? Slash, <laughs> um, give I me just... advice. <laughs> if you were to be my health coach, what would you suggest for me? Sure. I I eat delivery twice a day and I don't really exercise. So
1: yeah. What's, what's going on here the delivery twice a day is, is tough man because it, you can't sit here and look me in the eyes and tell me that the delivery food feels and tastes like real food that you would cook at home
0: i don't really cook i've only I only started cooking home in the last like two or three weeks Fair. i got like the whole like le Creuset harry potter collection like cast iron skillet nice nice i made a steak th- three times so far excellent made some lamb chops made some yeah. loads of salmon salmon is mm-hmm. so easy
1: yeah, yeah, salmon's very easy, yeah, mm. sure. On the big baking trays as well. You yeah. Can just on tons of vegetables yeah. and potatoes Glorious. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um I think exercise is something that I just genuinely enjoy fundamentally. If mm. I hated exercise, I think this would be a separate conversation. Yeah. At its core, I enjoy going for a run. I enjoy going to the gym. Um, and I find it very helpful. Um, kind of tied to the fact that um, I, for a very long time, I've been like, not thinking about things, not being introspective and reflective. A huge way for me to sort of offload stress or like clear my mind and move on to the next thing was just go for a run, go to the gym. Not the healthiest coping mechanism, but it served me for a really long time. Yeah. Um, and kind of now it's just, it's just routine that I need, if, if, if I don't exercise every like two days or so, I'm like, I'm itching in my chair. You know, I feel like I have to get out of this room and just push something, pull something, like run. Um, I, I honestly almost feel more like my body pulls me towards the exercise as opposed to it's a decision that I make, let me go to yep. the gym right now. Okay. Um, but that might also be because it's become a habit at this point and it's like yeah. just part of normal routine. Okay, when you're at the gym, what do you do? Oh, I do a lot of stuff. Um, so currently I'm not in my like peak physique like gym going four or five times a week. Um, so what I'm doing is about three days a week and I generalize into like a push day which is uh chest and triceps a pull day which is back and biceps and then legs and cardio to so legs <laughs> yeah. so i do do legs for everyone for everyone <laughs> always commenting on how skinny my legs are i'm fully aware um yeah no I, I do do legs and i actually enjoy it now believe it or not it's uh it's been a good sort of break from like uh push and pull days yeah um but it's just infinitely like harder to train them i'm, I'm a naturally Pretty lanky and skinny guy, yeah. so. Um, and do you, like, track macros and, like, all that crap? No. See, that's another one of those things that's just, like, added stress that I don't want in my life. Okay. Um, I feel like I'm okay with eye- eyeballing guessing if I'm, like, eating too much or too little. But actually, to be honest, I don't think about whether I eat too much or too little. In fact, I try and throw as much food on my plate as I can because I find it very difficult to, like, put on mass and to to grow muscle mass. Um, and so... Yeah, I don't really track any of that stuff, no. Okay. Um, so, what what would be like
0: your uh, top kind of recommendation for me for things I should do to my lifestyle to yeah. become a bit more hench?
1: Um,
0: <laughs> if we if we all, take aside the question of why I want to become a hench in the first place, because then that takes it down the therapy rabbit hole, which we can. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: I think honestly, the most important thing is to just find a form of exercise that you actually enjoy. Mm. At the end of the day, if you don't enjoy what you're doing and you're forcing yourself to go you're not gonna keep it up for a long time and that makes perfect sense. And so whether you like swimming, running, walking, gym, I don't know what, what other activities can you can do, tennis, squash, squash, squash yeah, for tennis, example, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Whatever the form of exercise is that you want, just focus on that. Um, I think doing those types of sports and activities is different than getting hench in the gym Yeah. and you can't just do those sports and expect to get hench because it's not gonna happen, yeah. but you can certainly be like healthy and fit and active and whatever. Um the gym is its own thing. The gym
0: is its own yeah. thing. Yeah. I need to figure out a way for making the gym more fun. Um and Gordon is gonna help with that, because Gordon used to be a personal trainer.
1: Yeah, a personal training should so, get yeah, yeah. It's gonna happen. We're gonna make it fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, um and yeah, the, the eating stuff. Um I don't know how do you how do you find ordering so often? If I order for like two days in a row, I feel like you know, I feel a bit sick. I, like, I, I, want thought, to I tend to
0: order, my... like, either Chipotle chicken salad or, like, poke Bowls. Okay. And so I, I have, like, a few Typically healthy healthy, healthy defaults. Okay. And I will very rarely order, like, a KFC or equivalent.
1: You know what's changed my life? Mm. Um, those, like, not meal prep companies, but ingredient delivery com- companies, like HelloFresh and Gusto. Okay. Have you heard of them? Yeah, I used HelloFresh for a few weeks and yeah. then stopped. So very similar to HelloFresh. We yeah. use a UK-based company, I think, called Gusto. And those boxes have completely changed our life. Like, Mm -hmm. we don't shop anymore at the supermarket. We just get those boxes delivered to the house. We buy the meals that are for four people, and we're only two. So we just cook them, and then we have leftover food um, for, like, the next day's lunch or dinner or whatever. And that's completely changed, like, how much time it takes for us to prep, to cook. Um, Yeah, because I do find the shopping for the ingredients is the hard part. It's it's the worst. Cooking food is quite fun. Shopping is such an inefficient use of time. Like, (laughs) I hate shopping. (laughs) I despise it. Same with making breakfast in the morning. I think it's like the the most inefficient way to start my day. Yeah. Like having this obstacle of eating breakfast in the morning. Yeah. It bothers me so much. And so I'm, I'm thinking of like trying out Huel or something like that to oh, sort of speed up Huel's the process. I like would recommend.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. Although I've, to now, give it I've now been on a whole like for the last three days going into a deep dive on all the anti-aging longevity stuff. Okay. Which is, off, which is often <laughs> in favor metformin. of. Metformin. Yeah. Uh, metformin, one of the things, but like <laughs> in favor of calorie restriction, intermittent fasting. Sure uh eating less meat <laughs> uh yeah. not ordering from delivery twice a day <laughs> so I, there's all these things associated with like longevity that i'm now t- diving into in terms of like what are the mechanisms behind this and how does it work and can i make a video about it and can i apply it to my, my own life yeah so i feel like next time we meet <clears throat> i will be a new man i've nice. so i have been plant-based for the last two days mm-hmm. so that's oh, good all right we'll see how that goes
1: yeah easy starts easy starts <laughs> and uh i'll report back. and if you ever fancy going for a run like hit me up like, going for a run go running pretty often yeah Oh, no, way? man, running, running is amazing. Why are it playing squash? Do you play squash at no. Uh I don't, but I can learn. Why, why do you enjoy running? It's just a repetitive motion, right? Oh, man, there's no, there's nothing like running. You know, you, you sweat out, like, all your stress. What you, stress? What stress? <laughs> um, yeah. I think, like, it, it's so great because you're just outdoors, like, experiencing, you know, scenery, different shops, people running by the street. You know, you've, if you go to the parks, you have all that greenery there as well. I just think it's so great for getting out of the house and doing something that's like fun and makes you feel okay. good, yeah. What do, you, what do you listen to while running, if anything? Only music. And only music? Only Not music. like podcasts at 3x speed or audiobooks at 2.5? No, no, I need the high energy like boom, oh, boom, okay. boom to, nice. to keep me going. The Once boom, the music boom, turns boom. off, I like, I'll stop, you know. I can't, <laughs> yeah. I can't keep going. It's all about the
0: music. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. <laughs> all right. I think this is a good place to end this. Karma yeah. medic thank you very much for joining the absolutely, podcast. Absolutely,
1: Ali. My pleasure. And
0: uh, yeah, it's been great. And yeah. uh, people can find you on all the links down below, YouTube channel, podcast, all that shebang. Sure. I look forward to being a guest on
1: your podcast at some point. As well. Yes, absolutely. Nice. You're my guest number 10.
0: Yeah, sick. Bye-bye.